Hi and welcome everyone to the 63rd episode of Serum Rocks. This is Marcus Alonso and today's podcast will be about Dynamics 365 Spring Release 2018. And with me today I have Jukka Niranen from Elisa. Jukka works as a Dynamics 365 tech lead at Elisa and is a Microsoft MVP for business solutions. He has 10 plus years of experience for Microsoft Dynamics CRM and has been writing his surviving CRM blog ever since the days of CRM version 3. Welcome back, Jukka Niranen. Hello, Marcus. Good to be back here. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. It's starting to be springtime here in Finland and we get more sunshine every day and snow is melting away, so life is getting good again. Yeah, you can finally breathe. CRM is all about managing a customer relationship. So what is a good customer relationship to you? Well, I think that's it's something that uh, you care about beyond just the pricing or just individual transactions. So a good relationship would be something that you also tell to other people or recommend it or use it as a part of a story. So I think that kind of defines that when they when you reach something on a level like that, then there is... Uh, you go a lot beyond just the data or contracts that you might have with a company. Who are your customer? Well, that's actually interesting now because uh, previously I was working as a consultant and of course I was involved in projects implementing Dynamics CRM and 365 and uh, in my current role as tech lead, I'm now more uh, involved with the internal customers and also uh, helping out our consultants to uh, have the uh, skills and tools for delivering the project. So uh, uh, my customer base has, in that sense, uh, changed quite a lot. And it's also uh, because I work now for a telecom operator that has a large organization. So there are also many internal units and teams that I get to do work with. So my customer uh, base has become more, more heterogeneous in that sense. So your customers are both internal and external then? Yes, uh, we are doing lots of product development right now, so not so much uh, external customer involvement, but that is, of course, target to then also have some uh, new service offering for them in the near future. So what is it that you do? So how I spend my days then? So uh, I'm uh, involved in lots of different uh, development projects, and uh, I need to, of course, uh, I'm sort of the eyes and ears that our organization has in the Dynamics ecosystems, so uh, I need to be aware of all the new functionality coming out from Redmond and then, uh, of course, also the surrounding uh, partner ecosystems and then different uh, partnerships that we have. And then also uh, kind of uh, help help my team members then to also maintain their skills in this uh, ever-expanding business application uh, platform that we are working with. So... Lots of different tasks that I do during the week, but uh, really an interesting uh, area to be working in. We are customers all the time. So what is your last memorable customer experience? Well, maybe uh, the uh, recent uh, experience, which was not such a positive one, was when uh, uh, I I bought a ticket to a uh, concert that then eventually got first uh, delayed to another uh, date and then eventually cancelled and then uh, I had to get my money back from the tickets and uh, so I purchased it via Ticketmaster and uh, I was surprised kind of how the how non-digital the processes for getting uh, tickets to uh, concert events could be still in 2018 so uh, well first of all I had to buy a 
paper version of the ticket because I wanted to use these kinds of uh, kind of uh, vouchers that I have uh, from my company because their online shop wouldn't support those directly like some competitors do. And then also when I went to return the tickets, then I actually I had to walk to the physical store there. And then when I uh, walked to the counter, they gave me a photocopied A4 that I had to then fill out my details, my, my name and like bank account numbers and so on. And, and they said that, okay, we'll ship this to our uh, internal unit and then you'll get the money in, in four weeks time to your bank account. So uh, that was an experience that was a bit surprising for me in this day and age, because uh, I mean, uh, all those kinds of uh, events, I mean, you find out about them on Facebook or some other social media and like you could then just click that, okay, I'm attending this event. And uh, I mean, if the process of just like handling the uh, back and forth with the money is something that you need paper in both directions, then that's something where maybe a bit more modern tools like what we have in the business application platform these days could be then of, of use. So uh, that's an experience where, where the uh, uh, it, it forms a, uh, a negative story that also then kind of tends the tends the relationship going forward. So I think that definitely the uh, kind of expectations that we have these days as consumers, then uh, if it's something that's uh, where we can do so many things online, then the things that we cannot do will really start to stand out in a negative way and like leave a footprint uh, or uh, of a memory of something that uh, you then want to avoid in the future. Looking at the spring release, it's quite a mouthful what Microsoft is releasing for us here now. What is it? Yes, yeah, so this is now the really the first time that there's been a joint release for the whole business applications group. So it's something that now goes uh, even beyond Dynamics 365. So it's not just about the CRM plus ERP, but it's also the related technologies that are in the same group now in the organization at Microsoft. So it concerns Power Apps and Flow and Power BI and uh, even services like Stream, for example, for media broadcasting. So uh, it, it's a big group of people working there. And uh, now it's the first time that the uh, Microsoft has aligned this release to actually uh, uh, contain parts from all those different product teams. So that's why we are now seeing a very very large uh, release notes document that contains, uh, I mean, uh, bullet points that no single person probably can understand all, all of them, what they refer to even, because uh, usually people just work with a, a pieces of technology from there, but not the complete stack that is the business application platform. But uh, I kind of see that this is a very uh, a positive signal that we are now seeing that the kind of... Uh, emphasis or the momentum behind this uh, group of applications now being almost on the same level as Office or Azure when it comes to the number of products that it covers. So uh, it's going to be positive for for our line of business for, uh, first of all, I mean, getting the more attention in the media and on the customer side, of course, but then also internally the uh, sort of uh, the size of the uh, group that is working with Dynamics uh, is... Uh, very significant these days, and it's a very critical part of the offering that Microsoft has. So business application platform, that's what they're referring to, the low-code or no-code solutions. That's Power Apps, Flows, and Common Data Service for apps then. Is that right? Yes, and there's uh, now a very interesting turn of events on the platform side there because... uh, uh, 
if you've been following the uh, story ever since from the moment when Dynasty 365 was first announced like one and a half years ago and there was the uh, already the promise of the uh, the common data model at that time which was then uh, later rebranded into common data service and uh, now the biggest uh, sort of structural change has been now with the spring release that there's not going to be the uh, a separate uh, CDS anymore, but actually the XRM platform is going to be taking the place of what what CDS used to be there. So it means that uh, essentially uh, everybody who's going to be uh, building uh, solutions on top of Power Apps or even using, let's say, things like uh, uh, Power Apps uh, forms on SharePoint online lists, for example. So th- those are all going to be uh, leveraging components that actually rely on the familiar XRM platform. So uh, in that sense, XRM is now replacing uh, very b- uh, big parts of the uh, sort of broader uh, stack of tools that Microsoft had for the for the business applications, and it's also now reaching into the office territory on, on some levels there. So getting even more and more mainstream compared to how it was like. Uh, only a couple of years ago when there was still a, a separate uh, BIS Solutions unit there and not part of the uh, sort of bigger organization that uh, develops Azure and Office and so on. So if you like, um, if you look at that from Microsoft's point of view, they're not developing something new. They're rather reusing the battle-tested XRM platform that has been online for, what is it, since 2011? That version was the first CRM line, right? So seven years ago now? Yes, yeah, so, and also at that time, the 2011 version was the first time that the solution framework was released. So uh, we, of course, we have been working with the platform for many years. We know that there's been some challenges, of course, with the new technologies there. But uh, then if you look at CDS and how that was uh, initially envisioned and uh, developed the initial versions, then, uh, I mean, if you just imagine that you'd have to kind of uh, rebuild all that functionality that uh, XRM already had there for uh, the uh, security models and like uh, all these uh, packaging of solutions and so on, then uh, I think that uh, Microsoft realized that uh, there's not going to be any shortcuts for building a new uh, cloud-native platform to actually uh, contain all those features that you need in, especially in enterprise projects. And uh, if you look at then XRM, then uh, I think that the uh, architecture choices that have been made there when it was uh, made sort of like, uh, not just uh, online uh, compatible, but rather transformed into something that's now uh, mostly running on Azure services, then uh, they've been able to really modernize the platform and like uh, compete with the very latest uh, technologies from other product teams coming out there. So uh, uh, in a way, they kind of play the chess game and they they won this round. Will this ever get to on-premise then? That's a very good question for many of the existing customers who have been investing a lot in uh, configuring and extending their uh, on-prem environments. And uh, the promise from uh, James Phillips, who's the corporate vice president for for the business application group has been that uh, he said that uh, on-prem is forever, so he doesn't really see a, a point in time now where Microsoft would be letting go of the 
on-brand alternatives for CRM and ERP, but uh, it's pretty clear that you cannot have then feature parity on many of the uh, areas where uh, the new functionality is relying on something that's purely built on Azure. So uh, I'm sure that we are going to be seeing versions for on-prem, but uh, for the spring release, there's not going to be an on-prem version yet. So, uh, and also, uh, if you look at the spring from just the uh, kind of the platform point of view, so from the what used to be called XRM, what now is called Common Data Service for Apps, then the uh, we didn't even get a version 9. Uh, one release with this uh, spring release, but it's just 9.0.2. So a very small update from an online service perspective. So uh, what Microsoft has now said, that's the uh, next release, which probably would be 9.1, that this would then have an on-prem version as well. But uh, I can only imagine what kind of an upgrade process will then be for customers who are then moving from 8.2 to this 9.1, which has had so much development going on during the uh, period where when online the service has been evolving there. Yeah, if we compare CRM, the old version, uh, it has always been marketed as you can choose the online or the uh, on-premise version. If you compare it to the Salesforce, they only have the on online version and that has been a major factor for CRM that you can install it yourself if you have compliance issues or legal issues that you really have to know where your data is residuated. You can have a private cloud or host it yourself and have this on-premise version and, and as you say they have said on-premise forever so this one version for online only and one version for on-premise and online that has been going for a while now and they might still stick to it it's just that they're sort of making this a minor update even though it's really huge if you look at the share volume of functionality that they're releasing 235 pages yeah, so uh, I think the, the bigger, uh, there's not maybe that many new features. If you're just a uh, customer using the sales app, then sure, there's uh, new intelligent features coming in there. But uh, the real uh, sort of uh, the critical mass behind this release is the uh, combination of all these tools into a, a single harmonious platform. So there's lots of uh, structuring that has been taking place at internally at Microsoft for getting these things aligned and uh, just kind of trying to combine them into a single release event where on one single day they announce all the new features for for Dynamics and Power Apps and Power BI. So that's already must have been a big push from, from the team there. So uh, it maybe uh, would be unrealistic to then think that uh, during this kind of changes in the organization that you could also then have a very ambitious uh, sort of uh, rolling out of new features from the backlog. So uh, maybe it's not not being the moment for that. Perhaps we'll have to wait for the full release then to see some more uh, significant expansions or uh, renewals of some functionality in the uh, platform and the apps themselves. And version 9, the first version of version 9, that was pretty delayed. So that has not been available, for, I mean, for real, <laughs> available and usable until like now. 
And then they came with Dynamics for Marketing. That was a pretty big deal. So they probably had some had to carve out some time for bug fixes and to make Dynamics for Marketing function as well. And this release including. Yeah, I think the uh, sort of release naming that was used last time, the July 2017 release, I think they probably learned from that mistake that they're not going to assign these uh, month names into the actual versions anymore. And uh, But uh, and at the same time, Chase Phillips has been very uh, strict about uh, having a release two times a year in April and in October. So uh, we're probably now going to be then seeing a uh, more effort about having something that's predictable in schedule-wise and then more flexible in terms of the features that you can actually ship within that time frame. So uh, nobody, of course, wants to have lots of uh, new features introduced uh, to their environment if they actually are not working. So uh, all these kinds of uh, ways that Microsoft can now then involve uh, customers in, in preview programs and all that, I think we're also going to be seeing lots of uh, new practices uh, being formulated there to sort of uh, back up this new model where uh, it's not just about coordinating the the CRM part, but also all the rest of the application platform. Do you think that the Azure part of this platform might be available for the on the Azure stack? And, and Azure stack is that you can buy Azure as, as a service and they sort of, or you in, buy the hardware and then install Azure on it, sort of like your own data cloud. And then Microsoft provides the services that are for Azure, but on your hardware. Do you think that that's feasible to get the sort of versions that they're offering there in that Azure stack part? It of course might be in the future, and especially on the European side, if you look at I mean, retail and these kind of applications, that's uh, something that really is driving the production systems for actual, uh, I mean, warehouses and all that. So the demand there for having something that's not far away in the cloud, I mean, that's of course uh, a fact that you uh, cannot survive on just with a distant cloud service. So I, I do think that uh, down the road, we're going to be seeing these options introduced there, but then the uh, sort of uh, the cost of having something that you can run on your own Azure stack, I mean, that probably is going to be sky high compared to what you can then get uh, from from the public cloud. So uh, there will be big enough enterprise customers who surely can afford it and want to have it their own stacks, but then uh, for the vast majority of customers, then uh, they should just like plan ways of how to get to online as fast as possible and not uh, not lose too much uh, time on uh, trying to maintain old applications or old code that's going to be then becoming obsolete very fast once they get into the uh, full cloud uh, platform and all the new connected services they can get there with with Flow and Power Apps and all those uh, cloud-only uh, features. Yeah, I was thinking like the Azure Stack that you could have a a hosting partner or a private cloud or something like that, that you have someone that are hosting that hardware part and then Microsoft is doing the software part of that. But then you will have the 
even a, a bit delayed the features available to you that are in the cloud and that's still just Azure, but on your own hardware then. If we look at CDS, then call this CDS version two or what is it? Well, the official uh, marketing name for it is uh, CDS for applications and uh, CDS version two is just something internally that the product team has been referring to it differentiating from the original CDS that was a very separate platform. But uh, yeah, I mean, down the line, I guess we are going to be having a CDS server once we get the on-prem version as well. So uh, there's no, it's not going to be called XRM. And uh, I kind of understand the, uh, the reasoning behind that because uh, the, the common data service is a more descriptive name of what they are trying to now use the platform for. So not just about... Uh, extending your CRM, but rather than uh, uh, building new apps on top of uh, a single data store, having multiple apps for web and uh, mobile and tablets and so on, like uh, talking with the same same data service. So uh, CDS is a is a good term for it, even though now it's going to have the uh, sort of legacy of what it once used to be. But within a few months' time, there's not going to be anyone running on on CDS version one anymore. So then we can just call it CDS and and be happy with it. If we look at licensing, are there any changes there? Well, uh, licensing, uh, it's interesting also uh, when you look at CDS because there's been uh, for a long time the uh, demand from the market that uh, please give us a, a naked XRM license or so something where you can just buy, buy the platform but not the not the actual CRM apps themselves. And uh, now in this new reality, actually the the Power Apps P2 license should be, now be the, uh, the the platform SKU. So the license you can buy without having any of the pre-configured uh, Microsoft applications for sales and marketing and so on. So that's definitely an area where we probably aren't gonna have to wait for some more details about and guidance about how you can then use that without actually uh, breaking the uh, terms that have existed in the uh, Dynamics 365 uh, customer engagement side of things, because uh, you can probably remember from the uh, times when they uh, split out the uh, uh, sort of single license into separate apps. And then, for example, in sales, you could not use the uh, case entity at all, but you could use custom entities, but you were not allowed to create your own case entity and call it a ticket, for example, because that will then be replicating features that already exist in other applications. So all those kinds of uh, details are something that everybody's probably waiting for to, to get their hands on before they actually commit into starting to build uh, these uh, new uh, uh, new apps that are uh, don't cover the... Uh, functionality known from the uh, Microsoft sort of in-house apps. Uh, but uh, at least now there's lots of lot better uh, chances for uh, Microsoft also to kind of uh, offer that model because the, the standard uh, apps have now been separated from the platform. So they are also going to be solution packages on top of the, the common data model there. So uh, that's going to enable the technical uh, sort of... Uh, inventing new license types on top of the uh, platform there. And also making it much more technical, easy for them to release new version of the sales app or the service app or the 
project service automation app or the portal app without actually having a full release that we're looking at now. Yeah, that's very true. And it also maybe relates now to the uh, sort of uh, scheduling that if people ask when is the GA date for the spring wave, then uh, the actual platform update for 9.0.2 is going to be coming out in in a few days' time, but uh, then the actual individual apps are going to get updates all the time. So there's not going to be uh, a single point in time ever again where all the uh, new features are rolled out. So there's going to be two kind of uh, release waves that are going to be in April and in October now based on the current plans, but then the uh, actual apps are going to be evolving all the time which again is going to be something that's hard to then replicate for the on-prem world. But I'm sure that by the time we get the next on-prem version, there's going to be some some model and some plan then communicated for how to then also install those new version of those solutions to the uh, on-prem environments as well. If we go to Power BI and, and looking at analytics there, aren't there any updates there? Well, the... Most interesting uh, development there, I think, is the announcement of the the other CDS, so the CDS for analytics, which uh, isn't yet even in preview, but it was now announced as part of the spring release wave that what they are going to be doing with it. And uh, it's a uh, a very uh, important piece of the puzzle there if we look at it from the traditional CRM perspective, because... uh, the CDS for uh, so what used to be XRM and is now called uh, CDS for apps. The actual uh, one uh, acronym for it is CDST, which means transactional. So uh, the traditional CDS or the sort of XRM server that's going to be still running on something that resembles the uh, SQL Azure databases relational data models. But then with the uh, CDS for analytics, then uh, uh, that's going to be taking advantage of the sort of the big data world. So it's going to be more like an Azure data-like te- based technology for storing huge numbers, volumes of data there and uh, crunching some insights from it uh, and not maintaining these strict relational data models that we, of course, know and love in the external world. So uh, having those as uh, dedicated uh, platforms, uh, but still with a... Uh, promise of a, a single commodity model, then that really is a very interesting scenario for having some uh, uh, pre-configured uh, analytic solutions that can leverage the uh, data that you can get from your uh, normal CRM apps, your sales and service marketing, but then have those uh, the results from those transactional apps pushed into the analytical data store and then offered as uh, these kinds of uh, pre-configured insights apps that are then going to be launched under the uh, Power BI brand. So uh, we don't know that much details about yet uh, of that uh, the other CDS, but uh, uh, if you have been looking at uh, customer insights and if you have been playing with the uh, the new Dimes 365 for marketing, which uses lots of these uh, customer insights components for producing the reporting for the uh, customer journeys and then also tracking the all the interactions that uh, your customers have with web pages and links and so on, then uh, that probably is going to be uh, a big part of what the uh, what CDSA is going to be uh, providing. 
So it's going to be that same platform, but uh, now it's going to be actually under the uh, Power BI brand. So it becomes probably a lot more uh, generic in a way, it's more of an actual platform that you can build solutions on top of it, not just uh, have it as a component that Microsoft configured for you and then delivered that as part of a marketing app, for example. The, the technical differences between the common data service for analytics and for apps makes sense to me because the one for analytics are typically only read-only. I mean, the data comes from other parts and are not really generated from within the analytics, but it's more like read-only, but huge volumes instead and need to query all over the data set and find sort of patterns and and practices perhaps even for that data while for the common data service for apps there's more like okay we need to change the schema perhaps we need need to add one row as you said transactional we need to add this we need to update this we need to go this 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 and so that's that's okay with me because i mean there there's such a difference between the usage but uh, i mean they have changed the power bi as well then I, I saw this video where they have this virtual event where they could ask questions in english and get answers for the data that's huge for me how do you see that i think there's lots of uh, unlocked potential from power bi that hasn't really been available within Dynamics 365 in a very nice fashion, or at least on the uh, custom engagement side. So uh, from what I know from the AX, from the operations side, then those, uh, the new cloud versions have been leveraging the uh, Power BI embedded uh, charts there, but uh, there hasn't really been an official way to do that in, in the customer engagement side. And uh, we didn't really get that yet with the spring announcements either, but uh, I think that's this uh, the path that uh, we're on now with the new CDSA kind of uh, evolving into a sort of interconnected uh, sort of big data store for the transactional data, then there's going to be a way to do it in a an even more seamless way. So you don't have to go and like take an embedded parts uh, from a separate uh, uh, Power BI report, but rather something that then can be uh, packaged into proper apps that, uh, I mean, work uh, with the actual transactional apps without uh, uh, the need for a report developer, for example. And uh, also, when interesting, uh, uh, if you look at the CDS for analytics, then uh, there's also lots of potential there for uh, using that as the uh, kind of... Uh, the mode that will then tie in also many other non-Microsoft applications in there. So uh, it's fairly common that companies are not running purely Microsoft software. So uh, there's going to be some legacy ERP systems or other, let's say, more operational systems that contain valuable data for the analysis. And now bringing that into uh, the CDSA for processing and getting that also into the uh, in line with the common data model, then uh, that's already uh, that's more than the path for getting those uh, metrics and those KPIs into back into the sales app, for example, for some workflow automations or business process uh, automation. Then makes it a lot more realistic to actually achieve that kind of integration there if you can get the uh, sort of uh, uh, 
integration to CDSA done via the future connectors and the integration services that they can offer there and then get all the number crunching for the KPIs to be happening there and then just embed the results and get the kind of uh, the value that matters for the actual business process and get those within the uh, sales and service and market naps, then, then we can actually, uh, we don't have to deal with all that those problems of uh, summarizing the data like if we would have it on the relational database side. So uh, the overall architecture makes a lot of sense and uh, we don't have that much. So yet. there's still a way to go for us to like see that what's going to be the detailed implementation path of it. But uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, we're not going to be using the uh, the old chart engine from uh, from CRM 2011 for that long a time anymore, but rather the, the future is going to be about uh, I mean, embedding the uh, capabilities and the uh, KPIs and the intelligence from the other platform into the transactional CDS. Yeah, and that's where this release makes it really interesting because you can sort of project and see that the business application platform and the connectors that both PowerApps and Flow share that you can sort of see that they're trying to use that for the common data service for analytics to get the data inside there. So you can use all of this. I'm not sure how many, but 100, 100 plus connectors that they have for flow and sort of just, okay, get data in there, get it from wherever you can, just get the data and then process it inside of common data service for analytics later on. Yeah, and the same, of course, applies also to the apps side. So uh, it's going to be very interesting now in the future to think about uh, how you can then uh, pull in data that doesn't reside in the XRM database, but still use it that as part of the visible layer of your applications there. And uh, I think especially flow is going to be something that has so many scenarios within the uh, business process automation that where it's going to be a lot more powerful than what the workflow engine in XRM could ever be just because of the fact that it has the 200 plus connectors into the outside world. So uh, there's uh, it's been a bit of a difficult subject up until now to kind of approach that when should you use flow or when should you use the XRM workflows because uh, of course the stuff that is natively has been built into XRM has been more powerful there you are more productive with using those tools but then at the same time uh, we've seen the kind of uh, the quick evolution of the uh, flow and logic apps uh, editors and, and capabilities and especially connectors and all the st- things you can do there with custom apis i mean we're ne- never going to have anything like that within the uh, what used to be XRM is now cds for apps but uh, rather we just just try and piggyback on that in, uh, innovation that they uh, we get from the uh, from the flow team and also the kind of uh, the uh, power query technology that's going to be also now integrated with the uh, interfaces where you uh, we build your power apps there's going to be a web version of the power query that you can use for pulling in data from many different services like sharepoint or even salesforce so uh, it sort of becomes a uh, non-issue of should you use flow or not but you are going to be using it for all those scenarios where it's more more efficient to uh, have parts of the process and parts of the data outside of the uh, the kind of traditional XRM database 
Dynamics 365 for marketing was released just earlier this year and now it's got an update and actually a general availability. What is it and how is it working? Well, the marketing app has been long in the making and of course it's this is now the sort of version 2 in a way if you look at the earlier much done is marketing um, MDM, but uh, it's a completely separate product. Of course, now it's been rebuilt from the ground up as a uh, true CDS app now. So, so pre- previously would have been in the XRAM database, but not, of course, uses uh, large parts of the uh, CDS for apps uh, uh, platform to uh, offer the, uh, the UI for the end users. But uh, it's also been a kind of a flagship uh, product for making use of the very latest Azure technologies. So like mentioned, is is the first proper uh, uh, sort of instance of a uh, customer insights app. So all the parts that uh, deal with the uh, tracking of the sort of uh, transactions and clicks and whatever from the customers, they are not not within CDS for apps, but rather in the big data store. So uh, it has uh, a huge list of these uh, very latest technologies that are built into the app. And in that sense, it's kind of a uh, groundbreaking product in a way. But then there are, of course, question marks on top of it. That is, it's then something that the the marketing departments out there is something that they actually need and want. Because uh, right now the the technology is very interesting there, but for example, the maybe the, even the user experience and especially then the uh, the license part is something that may be steering people away from actually adopting the product after all. So, what is the licensing part of uh, Dynamics three sixty five for market? It's interesting. It's the first time where in the uh, Dynamics three sixty five customer engagement uh, stack where it's not actually licensed based on. Uh, not not the users and not even uh, instances, but based on the number of contacts that you have in your database. And uh, for anyone who's been using these uh, pure marketing automation products like HubSpot and these kind of th- uh, apps, then uh, it's, of course, a familiar model because uh, many of the competing uh, products have been using it. And uh, it's, in a way, a, a sensible uh, approach to... Uh, how you would uh, assign a price for a marketing automation tool because the idea is that uh, all the data that you have in the database is there for, to be actively marketed to. So you only need to keep the uh, n- number of uh, contacts there that you have an actual ongoing dialogue with. But uh, now when you then uh, apply the same kind of model on top of an especially an existing CRM database, so let's say you're a, a customer who's been running CRM online for seven years, for example, and you've uh, accumulated a huge number of contacts into your database and uh, you're going to have uh, duplicates there. You have uh, deactivated contacts, merged duplicates, or uh, contacts that are no longer working in, in the companies so that are of relevance to you from a customer relationship perspective. 
but you still have those records there for the sake of history, for the sake of keeping a log of your transactions, then you actually would end up paying for all those contacts even in this in this new licensing model for the marketing app. So that's a very controversial decision for Microsoft to actually uh, introduce this kind of model there. So in a way, it's aligned with uh, some of the, the competing products, but it's not very really in line with the uh, typical use cases of the uh, the external platform. And if we look at some of the competitors for Dynamics 365 for marketing, it's like click dimensions and, and use it HubSpot and that, but they have a usage price, right? They they charge per email or something like that, or they sort of, if you pay this amount, you can have this, uh, I don't know, transactions like emails or clicks or what have you. And, and I think this is, in line with that, but sort of different anyway. Yeah, it's a lot more clear when it's tied to something that's only used for for the marketing purposes. So uh, it makes sense there. And of course, you want to have a model where a bigger company with more contacts within the communication loop is going to be paying more for you. So that's how you scale your product into smaller and larger customers. But uh, here with uh, the sort of existing customer base that already has uh, uh, data in their database, and then you come later on and put a price tag on it, then that's going to be a problem for, I think, a, a fairly large share of customers who might otherwise be interested in like reducing the number of uh, uh, third parties or uh, cloud services that they are using and have just the one, one service integrated into the uh, sort of uh, core master data system that CDS for apps now could be. But uh, again, it's the initial release of that product and uh, it's not totally unheard of that the pricing or the license model would then change later on. So I'm sure that Microsoft's not going to see what the reaction is going to be from customers and from the partners and then they'll, they can draw their own conclusions and then evolve the offering from there. Like they also did now with the, uh, the sales app licensing as well in this spring release. Yeah, so what's their changing there? So what we now got with the uh, on the sales side is the uh, sort of uh, what was promised to be the business edition for sales, but which then turned out to be the uh, sales professional app. So uh, the whole business edition term is now now gone. So there's no more separate editions there, but we do have now the the sales enterprise app and which was something that everybody was using before. And now there's going to be the more limited version for the sales professional app. And uh, it's also a similar scenario where there's now a, a completely new uh, license scheme introduced there. And it, it's not based on not based on the number of data, amount of data you have there, like with marketing, but rather it's, uh, there are limitations on feature, of course, but then there's also limitations on the, amount of customization that you can do. So uh, from what I've understood, it actually is something that is applied on the instance level. So you define that if you have an, a database of uh, Kubernetes service for apps, which is uh, assigned to, uh, with the uh, professional license, then there's going to be a limit of 15 customer entities, for example, that you can ever add there. And same with the number of custom workflows and some other features. So that's, again, going to be a factor that people who design solutions will then need to 
take into consideration that, for example, you may not want to create uh, custom entities for storing some configuration data or just some list of values that you might have used previously when there was no upper limit for in practice for the number of custom entities you could have there. But now with the sales professional, then there's going to be a a maximum of on the amount of uh, extension that you can do on the otherwise extensible platform. So this might be like the old, old, old version of the licensing model again then, because I think we had this with the, was it the workflow? No, sorry, the... Oh, you mean the workgroup edition or... Workgroup edition, yes, that's the one I uh, was thinking about. So they called it that and you could only have like some part of the CRM system back in the day. So they introduced a new part for Dynamics 365 altogether that the Navision part that they now called Business Central. What's what's new there? Yeah, so that actually was called the uh, uh, the business edi- edition of finance operations earlier, but now luckily there's an actual dedicated name for it, so it's not the not the uh, horrible beast that the names used to be with all the different editions there, but. Uh, I think Business Central, I mean, I don't know much about NAV. I've never implemented it myself. I'm a CRM guy, so I don't know that much about ERP to be actually advising customers on how to use them. But uh, if I look at now this story there with that platform, so uh, it reminds me a lot about what uh, what CRM was going through back in 2011 when the CRM online version first became then available globally from the public Microsoft cloud. So uh, this is now the first time when actually you can get the, uh, you can get a fully functional ERP trial from the uh, Microsoft cloud and uh, not in all the markets globally yet, but for example, in Finland, you can get it. So uh, it does kind of, uh, there's potential that it would be a a bit of a similar transformation there about the, uh, uh, how you, uh, how you purchase cloud services and also how they are then deployed to customer environments because of the fact that you can now get a fully functional ERP platform from the cloud, just pay for it by month, get it via the CSP licensing. So uh, probably compared to the, uh, let's say, uh, legacy nav with the on-prem instances, then it's going to be quite a big shift now to a new way of thinking there and also for the kind of uh, extension model as well so uh, because from what i've understood the uh, traditional nav implementations have been uh, it's been very common to uh, extend them with uh, functionality that has been missing out of the box there so the vendors have been building their own modules there and uh, doing very deep uh, uh, integrations with the uh, sort of microsoft code and their own code but uh, now they, of course, when they are also going into this kind of a SaaS first kind of a model, then uh, also the extension model there is going to be something that you, you cannot just like upgrade existing code, but you probably have to like re-architect show all the add-ons that the uh, current uh, nav partners have had for for the product. So there could be an interesting uh, shift there also in the on the partner side and. Uh, hopefully for the better on the kind of uh, on the app side and on the integration side about how you can then link the business central with the other applications from Microsoft and from third parties into into the sort of bigger picture of uh, 
all these analytics and other mobile scenarios, for example. Yeah, and I agree. It looks just like CRM did seven years ago, but they have the opportunity now to make the transitions as as Microsoft and to make the transitions a lot far faster because they have all the experience of Azure and hosting things online that they didn't have when they started with Microsoft CRM online all these years ago and and for the naming part for this business central I think that Dynamics 365 for finance and operations business edition is a lot harder than Dynamics 365 Business Central. So that's at least a step forward. It might be not too, I mean, it might be still too generic to have its own thing, but that's just me. So if we try to look at GDPR here last and then all of this compliance that they have added what's new there well it's probably been the single biggest driver for the release schedule for the spring wave i can imagine because uh, there's uh, so many uh, in these cloud services now it's not just about uh, microsoft being the uh, sort of creator of software and then shipping it to the customer and the customer building a system that they are then in charge of how it's used but uh, because they are actually they are hosting the data for their customers which in turn contain information about individual persons and uh, they end up processing the data in their data centers. So there's actually been been probably very uh, significant uh, sort of uh, legal implications to Microsoft from from all the different uh, records of uh, individuals that uh, exist within these SaaS systems. So uh, the, uh, the hard deadline of... Uh, May 25th, when the actual GDPR will now be start to be enforced in EU, I'm sure that has been uh, the uh, primary deliverable from many of the product teams to ensure that uh, each and every uh, app there is is compliant with the regulations there, and also then a uh, lot of new uh, functionality has been introduced there on the on the cloud services uh, sort of uh, that's it. Uh, that cover all the apps there. So we have uh, new functionality, like for example, on the uh, CDS for apps, we can now uh, not not just delete individual records, but also delete uh, their entries from the audit log. So uh, that's a very concrete uh, example of how the requirement from the EU law has now changed the perspective on how audit logs are viewed by the uh, sort of product teams uh, uh, vision so now they don't there needs to be a way to actually manipulate the the audit history by erasing data that must be erased based on the requirements coming from individual persons within the eu so now there's a feature for, for doing that and uh, uh, and of course since these only now apply to the uh, uh, online version because there's no new feature releases for on-prem so uh, a lot of the uh, requirements that uh, have been now uh, enforced or are coming into play that they Microsoft actually can answer to them by using tools that exist in the Office 365 platform. So uh, in the Security and Compliance Center in Office 365, there's lots of great tools for performing uh, order searches, for example, for some terms, or now also seeing that uh, who has been viewing which records 
So all of that is only possible due to the fact that there's an, they have the uh, services on Azure actually running and providing that kind of metrics and uh, visibility into those logs. So uh, I think it's a very, again, interesting if you look at back in time and think about what was the uh, what co- concerns a uh, customer had about going to the cloud back in the days. I mean, they were worried about uh, are they going to be compliant if they move from their own uh, servers or own data centers into the public cloud. Well, now actually the uh, tables have turned so that uh, if you really want to be compliant then, and use the latest uh, tools for the audit locking, then you actually have to be in the cloud. You have to be in the public cloud for to be able to uh, do what the law might require from you. Or then you need to invest a hell of a lot of money to actually build custom features for achieving the same logging there. But uh, again, the same as with the Azure Stack and all that. I mean, even though you could technically probably run these things on-prem and build the solutions for you, then the vast majority of customers are going to be doing the calculations and seeing that, okay, actually, we are better off going to the public cloud and then just relying on Microsoft to actually provide us with all the compliance tools that... Uh, current and future laws will will place on them. Do you think that this is an issue where they remove the backup functionality that they used to have in CRM that you could order a backup and have that restored and now that's sort of gone and that might be due to the fact that it, that <laughs> when you delete someone it has to be gone and sort of backup this sort of well you can't really get that back because that should be gone now. Yeah, it could well be that they also need to then implement some features there to uh, perform the erasing of the data from those latest backups. So uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that there's not going to be uh, permanent removals of features like that. And uh, I think we're also seeing that there's more more uh, features now that support the uh, getting the data into your own uh, archives as well, because also the retention is a Im- important uh, sort of aspect of, of compliance, not just the deletion of data or reporting on that, where do you have these entries, but also then having these um, permanent records of uh, what happened there, something that you might not necessarily want to keep in the transactional database, but you still need to keep a storage copy of it. So that's also an, an area where there's going to be very probably cost-effective uh, new services coming from Microsoft to actually provide more and more control over the data that you store in, in those SaaS applications. We've just managed to brush and rush through all of this content here. So where do I go if I want to know more? Well, there's been uh, lots of great uh, videos posted uh, in the uh, sort of um, main site of uh, Microsoft Dynamics. The whole spring launch event uh, videos that were were broadcasted live are there to be viewed and also lots of uh, complimentary videos about uh, areas like uh, PowerApps, for example. So those contain lots of uh, great information to view and digest and see those applications uh, play together in in uh, real-life demos. And uh, I think that's, uh, if you look at this release now, when it's so much about the combination of the different apps and not just a feature list of individual application, then uh, that really is the more, more important part of this release, not maybe the release notes that uh, contain the individual items, but kind of understanding that what you can 
then do now and in the near future with the Kubernetes service and all the all the uh, toolkit that is available to you within the business application platform. So if we want to see more and hear more of you, then where are you going to be next? Well, actually, uh, part of th- as a part of this uh, spring wave, there's also a very interesting announcement made that uh, uh, people who have been in the Dynamics uh, uh, business for a longer time, they might remember the convergence conference that used to be the CRM and ERP event back in the days. It was a very big event, uh, both in the US and also sometimes in, in MIA, but uh, that was then cancelled uh, I think 2015 maybe was the last year that they had it. And ever since then, it's been a bit of a, uh, there's been no proper home for the uh, Dynamics applications uh, within the uh, Microsoft conferences. But so now there was the announcement that there this year, this summer, there's going to be a new uh, Microsoft Business Applications Summit in July in Seattle. And uh, that's actually sort of the evolution of convergence in many ways. So it's going to be dedicated to the business apps uh, specifically and uh, knowing that what the current platform is then it's going to also contain lots of uh, power bi and power apps and flow content there so that's definitely a conference where i'm not trying to arrange it so that i can actually attend it in seattle so uh, july of course is not the best schedule for at least europeans who want to have their vacations during the pretty times of the year but uh, still i mean if there's an event full of uh, all these latest business app uh, demos and probably also deep dives and announcements, then that's definitely something you should keep an eye on. So uh, do check out the page for the uh, Business Application Summit and sign up for the notifications about the upcoming agenda there. So that would at least be a great place to to meet up other external professionals and uh, get to know also the people who are working with other technologies that now make up the this application platform at Microsoft. So that's scheduled for July 22nd to 24th, is that correct? Yeah, so it's going to be in Seattle, very nearby the uh, Microsoft headquarters in Redmond. Okay, so any other links or stuff that we want to know about uh, before uh, hanging up here? Well, I'm probably going to be doing uh, some analysis and uh, reviews of the uh, newest features on CDS and other technologies on my blog. So remember to bookmark survivingcrm.com and uh, keep an eye on the blog updates there. So, uh, And of course, on, on Twitter as well, I, I can be found as J-U-K-K-A-N is my handle there. So be sure to follow me for the latest dynamics and business apps updates there. Thank you for your participation in CRM Rocks, Yuka Niranan. Thank you very much for having me, Marcus. And thanks to you for listening. And don't forget that I comment. Uh, no, don't forget that you can subscribe to CRM Rocks in your favorite podcasting app, or paste a comment, uh, or post a comment on LinkedIn or Facebook. And see you next time on CRM Rocks.